This is Bishop Dr. Zellaberry Case again with you tonight from 7 o'clock to 7.30 p.m. Uh, tonight uh, we're going to talk on a subject matter dealing with Romans 15, 7 through 24 and then doing a recap also on Romans 15, 7 through 13 so you can fully understand what God purposely has given us and um, well let's see let's go into the word of God uh, as I say this prayer so that your minds will become clear and focused on the topic of tonight kind father in heaven we come again once more just honoring who you are and what you are to us Lord Jesus it is more important each and every day that I live that I give you all the honor and glory that you are due because you are magnificent, you are justified at being the Lord of Lord and Kings of Kings. We love you, Lord, tonight. So give us clarity in teaching. And even if preaching shows up, Lord Jesus, because the Holy Ghost, I believe, is here, that you will take over and take control of our minds and our bodies and our temperament. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. I would like to direct your attention this evening to a topic that is discussed even today concerning how we as Christians receive one another. What I mean is in gender as we handle the word of God. In Paul's missionary letter to the Romans, uh, chapter 15, verses 7 through 24, there it deals with the same subject matter that is for this segment, I will call it modeling after Jesus with grace, righteousness, and loyalty to his word. Initially, within this text, you may want to alert yourself as I read to uh, three things within the text, the model, the mission, and the miracle of Paul's life as a missionary. Let me read Romans 15, 7 through 24, and I'm going to be reading out the King James Bible. I, I like Jimmy, so um, I'm one of these people that's old school, and it's not that I don't like other Bibles, but I just love the King James Version. Uh, verse 7 starts out like this, Wherefore, receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the truth of God to conform the promises made unto the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. And again he saith, Rejoice, ye Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and laud him, all ye people. And again, Isaiah saith, there shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him shall the Gentiles trust. Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. And I myself also am persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort, 
as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God, that I should be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore, whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ in those things which pertain to God. For I will dare to speak of any of those things which Christ have not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he was not spoken of, they shall see, and they that have not heard shall understand. For which cause also I have been much hindered from coming to you. But now, having no more place in these parts, and having a great desire for these many years to come unto you, Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey and to be brought on my way thitherward by you if first I be somewhat filled with your company. So I'll continue this on by discussing the model of Paul's missionary life. Now, Paul's model was the mission of Christ described in verse eight and nine. Verse 89 says it like this. Now I say that Jesus Christ was a minister of the circumcision for the trust and truth of God to confirm the promises made unto the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written for this cause I will confess to thee among the Gentiles and sing unto thy name. So we see here that the son of God became a Jewish servant to the Jewish people in order to confirm God's promises made to the Jewish patriarch, Abraham. And that within itself has a great offense to the world. It really has even today. But since one of the promises made to Abraham in Genesis 12 and three says by you, shall all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Therefore, Paul goes on to say in verse nine, that the ultimate purpose of Christ's mission to the Jews was that the Gentiles or nations might glorify God for his mercy. Now, Paul considers this ultimate purpose so crucial that he engages in a kind of exegetical overkill by citing four proof texts from the Old Testament to prove that God's purpose is to be glorified among all the Gentiles or people. Look at it like this. In verse nine, he quotes Psalm 18 and 50. Psalms 18 and 50 says, I will praise you among the Gentiles. In verse 10, he quotes Deuteronomy 32 and 43. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. In verse 11, Paul quotes 
Psalms 1, 17 and 1. Praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and sing praises to him, all you people. So here we find a parallel between Gentiles and peoples, which shows that nations or tribes or families are in view, not just individual non-Jews. Note that the similar parallel in the next verse is between Gentiles and nations. So when we go to verse 12, he quotes Isaiah 11 and 10. The root of Jesse will spring up. One who will arise to rule over the nations. The Gentiles will hope in him. So what is clear from this piling up of proof text is that Paul wanted to say the mission of Jesus Christ was to reach all the nations, all the people for the glory of God. It is not a merely Jewish phenomenon. God aims to be glorified for his glory for all the people. That is why his son ransomed mankind for God for ev from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Let's look at Revelations 5 and 9. And they sing a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof. For thou wast slain and has redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Therefore, Christ is the model of God's life as a missionary. He simply picks up where Jesus left off to the Jews first, but ultimately to the Gentiles that all the peoples might glorify God for his mercy. Number two, the mission of Paul's life as a missionary. Paul was so gripped by the purpose of Christ to get glory for God from all the nations that he was uh, looking at this as his passion. The passion of his life to always be on the frontier moving out to those nations. You can see this in three amazing statements in the text. The first statement initially is a statement that is done in verse 20 goes like this. I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named. Paul's life was dominated by a great ambition. I want you to ask yourself tonight, is yours governed and dominated by a great ambition? Do you just drift from day to day trying to get assignments done with no coherent driving vision of your future? Paul was driven with godly ambition. You see it in his second amazing statement. Verse 24. I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain. To Spain? How did he even know there was such a place as Spain? He didn't have no TV. Didn't have no radio. He didn't uh, look at National Geographics or did he have jets? M my theory is that Every time he got on a boat, he asked the seasoned sailors, how far west have we been? What are the people like? How long does it take to get there? What supplies would I need? Are they religious? And the sailors might have told him about the end of the world. Guess what? Spain. And his ambition drove him westward. 
for the glory of God. Verse number three in this section or section number three in this. But what about all the unbelievers still in Judea and Samaria and Syria and Asia and Macedonia and Achaia? That leads to the third amazing statement at the end of verse 19. So from Jerusalem all the way around at Lyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. This is an astounding statement. Jerusalem in southern Palestine to the land that connects northern Greece and northern Italy. Paul has preached in such a way that he can say, I'm finished. My work is done. Verse 23. There is no more place for me to work in these regions. My missionary task is completed. In less than 25 years, the work of the frontier mission in the entire eastern Mediterranean was finished. Oh, and, and of course, there were thousands yet to be won to Christ in that area. But it is not the job of the frontier missions to win everybody to Christ. That is not the Great Commission. And that is not the task of the frontier missions. It is the task of the domestic ministers, the job of the indigenous churches. The danger facing every mission agency is that it might penetrate an unreached people and then simply work there for 25 or 50 years and call it missions because it is church work in another culture. But I want to plead with you this evening to consider your life, the ambition of the, like the ambition, not just the ambition of the Apostle Paul, but like the ambition of the Apostle Paul. Could it be that there are many among you or perhaps seven people out there this evening listening right now that could be seven missionaries, pioneers that can move today that are willing to go and do as God commissions in spreading the word that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and that he is worthy to be praised? Is there one among you whom God is calling to pick up where Paul left off and make it your aim and your passion to go where the gospel has not yet taken root. Oh my goodness, what a mighty task. If our master returned, look at it like this. If our master returned right now to find millions of people unevangelized and looked at, as of course, he would look to us for an explanation I cannot imagine what explanation we should have to give of one thing. I'm certain that most of the excuses we are accustomed to make with such good conscience. Now we shall be wholly ashamed of them. Third, the miracle of Paul's missionary life. Would you lead your family or would you leave your family? Let me make that clear. Would you leave your family and friends for the sake of Christ? If you say that and live that for the next 40 years, it would be a miracle. What I mean is that there is nothing in you nor in me by nature that would give us the perseverance to abandon wealth and comfort and family and security and the at-homeness of our own culture for 40 years to live out the gospel in a hard place with no applause.
It is not in us. It is a miracle, a supernatural gift of God, just like it was for Paul. This is the meaning of verse 18 in Romans 15. He says of his missionary work, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. In 1 Corinthians 15.10, Paul says, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was within me. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 5, he says, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to claim anything as coming from us. Our sufficiency is from God. In other words, Paul's missionary labor was not his own. It was God's labor. His missionary life was a miracle, a supernatural gift of God. It was as though Paul had died and Christ had taken over his ministry. If you think you have it in you, I have it in me to be a frontier missionary. You are disqualified if you think you got it in me. If I think I got it in you. Oh, yeah, that was a trick of of the words for y'all. So y'all could think that, you know, I had something special that you didn't. But I just want you to know, don't none of us have nothing special within ourselves to become a frontier missionary. It is only by God that this happened. The only people who will bear fruit for God are people who know they can't. Listen to that again. The only people who will bear fruit for God are people who know they can't. I am the vine. You are the branches. So says in John 15 and five, he who abides in me and I am him. He, it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Galatians 2 and 20, which is my favorite scripture, says it like this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. If you were to ask Paul, well, if it is Christ that accomplishes everything in your missionary life, and gets all the glory. What do you do? I think I believe Paul would answer it like this. I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I would say it like Paul. I trust in his sovereign grace to conquer the greed and fear and vanity of my heart. It is I who trust his sovereign grace to give me hope when I am depressed and friendless, when I am lonely and spiritual power in the face of satanic forces and words of truth and wisdom when I need to preach. It is I who trust in God and his sovereign grace to give me love when I am hated and peace when I am surrounded by turmoil and perseverance when I feel like quitting and want to go home. And it is I who trust in God to give me just enough help and protection to do the work he called me to do as long as he has called me to do it. And just enough sickness and danger to keep me deep and earnest in the realness in my prayer. So when I or when you should step out 
in faith like this on the way to the frontier. It is not either one of us who steps without Christ. And 40 years from now, when you write your last missionary letter, you will know exactly why Paul said, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to him glory forever and ever. Now, this is not the only time that Paul trusted and proclaimed that he modeled after Jesus. It was countless times. So for the next 10 minutes or so, I'm going to really get into talking to you about how the Gentiles rejoiced in the root of David. We got to look at this redemptive history of Christ. So as we sort of recap a little bit on Romans 15, 7 through 24, let us look closely at Romans 15, 7 through 13 briefly. It says it like this, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in order that the Gentiles might glorify God is for his mercy as it is written. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all ye Gentiles, and let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles in him with the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Recapturing our focus tonight as we end on Romans 15, 9 through 13. So that we don't get confused or miss something in scripture. Let me take you to another short review so we can see the point of these verses more clearly. In verse 7. Paul gives the practical exhortation. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God, the strong and the weak, the Jew and the Gentile welcome each other. Become hospitable, be large hearted, open your arms and draw people in and don't do it as an end in itself. Verse seven says, do it for the glory of God. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Do it in a way that makes God look good as he really is good. And if someone asks, does that make pawns out of people instead of persons used and not love? The answer we must give them is no, it doesn't. There is no conflict my brothers and my sisters, between loving persons and aiming to glorify God in that loving. And the reason is that loving someone means treating them in a way that is good for them. And it is always good for someone to make much of God. So when we welcome someone for the glory of God, we are hoping and praying that our welcoming will awaken in them something that will come from God. They will see the love of God and therefore a deeper friendship with each other. That is not what you do with a pawn. That's what you do with a person. 
Loving people for the glory of God is the only way to love people. Because if we don't aim to help people see and savor the glory of God, we don't love them. So the practical command last time was verse 7. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Then when we go on in verse 8 and 9, it motivates this behavior by showing us that Christ became servant to the Jews so that they would glorify God for his truthfulness and the Gentiles would glorify God for his mercy. Great God Almighty. In verses 8 and 9, says it like this. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs in verse nine. And in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So be amazed, you Gentiles and Jews. Jesus Christ, the Messiah of Israel, has come not to serve not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for both Jews and Gentiles. There is one salvation, one new covenant, one people of God for Jews and Gentiles. Christ accomplished his salvation by serving and he did it for the glory of God. And so verses eight and nine are is a motivation for our welcoming one another for the glory of God. Now we do this in at least two ways. Now I'm signing off to you right now. Great God Almighty. And so by next week, we're going to talk about at least two ways that we can continue to glorify God. This is Bishop Dr. Zellaberry Case signing off this Monday night saying, first of all, thank you, Jesus, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit. May we have, Lord Jesus, all that you can give us and all that we can muster so that we can tell somebody that the right way is to go in the way of the good master, Jesus the Christ. I pray that you have a good evening and a prosperous week. In the name of Jesus, I do pray. Amen.